you uh, remain standing as we read God's word together? Would you turn to Ephesians chapter 4? This is the last of three messages as we took a break from the book of Genesis. Pastor Quinn will be picking up next week and have one final uh, look at Ephesians chapter 4. For context, let's start at uh, verse 7, and we will read through verse 16. This is God's word. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word, and may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you indeed are our glory and our prize. It is to you that we look in song and in the confession of our sin. And now, Lord, as we come to the word that you have given us, we thank you for it, that you've given it to us in our language. We ask that you would help us to understand it and not just understand it, but to apply it to our lives, that you might be glorified and that we might be satisfied in you. Father, we don't just lift up ourselves, but other churches in this area. We pray for Pleasant Home Baptist Church. We ask that you would be with Pastor Lonnie Carpenter and that, Lord, that you would continue to work in that congregation here in Ashe County, that you would uh, do much work through them and uh, revive them and encourage them and use them to spread the gospel in this region. Lord, we lift up our sister churches in the Reformed Baptist Network. We uh, thank you for the GA going well this week. We lift up uh, this morning the Reformed Baptist Church of Northern Colorado that you would um, be with them and Pastor Van Dorn and the other elders there. We pray that you would encourage them and use them, Lord, uh, in that area. We thank you for their ministry in Colorado and we ask that you would bless it and you would keep that congregation. Lord, we pray for the persecuted church as your word instructs us to do. We lift up the persecuted church in Iran this morning, we ask that you would protect them and guard them, that you would help them to endure. And Lord, we take our freedoms for granted, and we know uh, we have brethren around the world that are suffering in these ways, that you would cause them to um, be sustained in persecution. Father, we pray for people that are unreached. We ask that the gospel would go to them. And we know that uh, while uh, the borders of many countries have your word and your gospel. It has not gone to every uh, group within those nations. And so, Lord, this morning we lift up the Andalal people of Russia that are um, in uh, animism and in uh, swept away with Islam and other belief systems but have not yet heard your word. We ask that you would send missionaries to them, that they would hear your gospel, and Lord, that you would redeem many from that group of people. Father, we lift up the challenges in our world. We think of the Afghan and Ukrainian refugees. 
that are unsettled in multiple countries around the world, that you would have your church minister to them, and Lord, that you would draw them to yourself. Father, for the atrocities in Burma and, and uh, the war crimes there, that you would shine your face upon those, that Lord, you would show your mercy to those people, and in China, and even in Ukraine, and these war crimes that are happening, that you would shine your face of mercy upon these people, and Lord, that you would judge and be just in these ways. Father, that you would show your mercy upon those who have experienced loss. We think of the Pakistan flooding and that ordeal right now as their nation is underwater. We ask that you would show grace to those closer to home in Puerto Rico and in Canada and um, the Cayman Islands and other places that are under um, storm watches and have experienced loss there. Lord, we pray for our nation and its leaders that you would give them wisdom. And at times, Lord, we're super frustrated with uh, how our leaders lead. But Lord, you instruct us to pray for them. And that therefore instructs our hearts that there is a great need for your people to stand in the gap. And so we ask that you would use these prayers to accomplish your purposes. And that, Lord, you would use uh, these leaders, Lord, as you say that you use the hearts of kings and move them wherever you wish, that you would accomplish your purposes in and through them. We pray for those that are uh, still recovering from flooding in Kentucky and those who are suffering in the war zones in Ukraine. Father, our hearts go out to them, and we know that you are compassionate to those who are crying out to you. Father, here in our own congregation, we lift up the sick to you. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would uh, continue to be with uh, Kimberly Finney, Lord, and Scott, Lord, as they are walking these days with her father, Lord, through the final stages of leukemia. And Lord, that you would just bind their hearts up, Lord, that you would encourage them, that you give them strength. Father, for Sarah Reed and her mother, Mary Houck, that you would continue to strengthen them, Lord, in these days that you would give her father strength, Lord, as they seek to care for her. And Lord, that you would show your mercy to Mary. Lord, we continue to lift up Ryan Marlowe as we follow his story. We thank you for the uh, opportunity for him to go to a rehab facility in Tennessee, that you would be with Pastor Marlowe, Lord, that you would have the final say in this as you are um, seemingly um, bringing encouraging results, Lord, in his healing. And so we ask for your grace there, that you would glorify your name in the Marlowe family, that you would be with Megan and the girls, Lord, and the, the rest of the family, her own son as well, that, Lord, as you uh, work in and through that family, that they would trust you and that you would care for them. Father, we pray for Ron Cox, Lord, as he continues to heal from his procedure a few weeks ago, that you would bring great healing to um, uh, the uh, incision, and, Lord, that you would uh, bind uh, him up, Lord, and encourage him. Father, we pray for the grieving as Janice grieves the loss of a sister this week, that, Lord, you would encourage her and that you would help her to feel your love through your people as we minister to her and encourage her. Father, that you would um, encourage her this hour, Lord, that you are walking with her and, Lord, that you are um, weeping in many ways with her. And so we ask that you would help um, Janice in these days. Father, as we turn our attention to your word, would you be so gracious as to help us as we start a new week? Perhaps we're tired, perhaps we're distracted about many things, that you would help us to look and listen to your word, that you would help us to be expository listeners, that we might understand and apply your word to our lives because we know that you love us and you want to use these things in our lives for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look at Ephesians 4 this morning, we want to focus our, on, on verse 12 through 16 as we uh, end this short series on unity. We have seen in these passages that the church, the people of God, are displaying the majesty of God by the power of God for the glory of God. The Apostle Paul has brought our attention to unity, and he's brought the Ephesians to this focus of unity because God is one, that God is not disunified, and therefore 
his people ought not to be disunified. We looked in our first week at the primacy of unity, and then last week as our part in unity, as how each member is gifted and has been given a grace gift, and we focused on how God has given particular leaders, as we saw in verse 11, the gifts of apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds to accomplish the very purpose of unity, which we want to focus on this morning, which ultimately is to equip his people. God is committed to his glory in all the earth. And we know that his plan is to make himself known through his people, through the church. And while Ephesians can be applicable to the global church, we also know that it's applicable to the local church. God is committing himself to his bride. And while he hasn't yet returned, we know that he hasn't left us as orphans. He's given us his spirit, and his spirit has given gifts, as we have studied previously. He is accomplishing this through his redeemed people. We spent, again, this time looking at how he equips us, but for what purpose does he give these gifts? What part do they play in unity anyway? So we're going to see here in this passage in verses 12 through 16 that God gifts his church in these ways and really preserves unity by them in the life of the church by mainly three ways. In verse 12, we're going to look at how they prepare us, how they prepare us. Secondly, we're going to look at verse 14 and 15 in how God uses uh, the very gifts of uh, the body and unity to protect us. And then lastly, in verse 16, we'll see how God actually uses these gifts um, towards unity to preserve us. So let's look at verse 12 here. As we looked at last week, this five-fold ministry, as it's often called, of these leaders um, are given for a purpose. We are not looking at them in office while we know that there are offices uh, of elder and deacon that are gifted to the church. In this purpose, Paul is bringing this up in the sense of function, how the body is functioning together. And so there's a leadership that takes place that God gifts his church with leadership. In fact, we've seen that in the life of this church, have we not? As God has answered prayers that God would raise up leaders uh, in our midst. In fact, the GA this last week uh, for the Reformed Baptist Network was focusing on raising up leaders. And how are we to do that unless we obey the scriptures like Paul told Timothy, that he is to entrust these things to faithful men. Timothy was uh, very young at the time, and it's important that we give opportunity to young men to use their gifts in the context of the local church, and we know there's growth and maturity that needs to take place. But notice here that the function of this leadership is in verse 12. It's notice for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Often we focus on titles, again, in leadership, but the purpose here is for equipping. Have you ever felt unequipped? You ever been on a road trip and forgot that most important piece of luggage? You parents, it's like forgetting the diaper bag and then your kid has a blowout at a restaurant. There's great danger when we dismiss the scriptures and we seek to set up unbiblical organizations in Christ's church. When he allows us to see in his word the very clear focus that he wants in glorifying himself and gifting his church. Where our ideas can breed disunity, God's ideas clearly displayed in the scriptures and applied faithfully in a local context can breed unity that can bless a generation. Granted, we have to work at that, don't we? Each generation has to reclaim its voice for the glory of God. As God saves and God redeems and draws many to himself that this unity is built and so notice Paul here is instructing the Ephesians with the truth of this function and why he gave these spiritual leaders in this purpose of equipping. 
that God's church is unified and healthy when it's being equipped. It breeds this kind of unity. The function of the body of Christ is that we aid one another in each other's growth. And as we focus on here, it's one of preparation, is it not? It's preparation for what is ahead. We see this, that Paul was bringing this to the Ephesians in chapter 2, as we looked at last week in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. But it's not just good works. Notice that these were prepared at a certain time. Notice it says, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. One of the most amazing verses of the epistle of the Ephesians. Often, many commentators have called Ephesians the believer's bank. It's where we go to really make our and, and receive our deposits and withdrawals in who we are in Christ, the rich truths of chapter 1 through 3, and then application of chapter 4 through 6 here. How awesome it is to see that he has prepared works that we ought to walk in. But how can we walk in those unless we are equipped to fulfill those? Who is to be equipped? We'll look at verse 12 again. Who is it? Who is it to be equipped? It says the saints. The saints are to be equipped. Now, in our day in evangelical Christianity, in a way that we certainly want people to understand, know, and believe the gospel, we certainly want the gospel to go forth in power. We certainly want to call the world to repentance and faith. But the purpose of the church is primarily not the unbeliever. Did you hear me? The church in its primary function, its focus is not the unbeliever. Notice in chapter or in verse 11 that one of the people that are gifted to the church are evangelists. But notice that the evangelists are giving for the building up of the body of Christ. Of course, the evangelist is preaching the evangel that he would call many to Christ. He would call them to repentance and faith and thereby bringing God's people together in local churches to glorify God's name through Christ. But I think many times in our day and age, we tend to make the unbeliever the focus of all that we do. Rather, right here in this text, it's showing us that the purpose of the body of Christ, the reason that God has given us spiritual gifts is to exalt the name of Jesus and equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Equipping is something that isn't happening. While we in the Western world have endless resources, this generation has more Christian resources than any previous Christian um, uh, generation. And, and this is important for us to realize that even with all of these gifts, we are found wanting. In fact, the American church, at least, is malnourished. There is a famine in the land of the word of God. And this is why local churches are dying. And even churches that seem to have numerical growth are not necessarily healthy if their foundation isn't God's word. Ministry has become a sideshow. Ministry has become something that we watch rather than what we do. Ministry becomes something that we uh, observe online. The pandemic taught us that, that we can watch our favorite preachers and enjoy them and then compare our local pastors to them. And when things aren't good enough for us in the local church, we bail and we find another church that's going to entertain us far better. But Paul speaks to this wave in this way. And in the first century, he's saying that the purpose of the local church and the purpose of the gifts and going towards unity is for the equipping of the saints so that they can do something. Notice at the end of verse 12, the work of ministry. Do you believe that? Pastors are not to be doing the sole work of ministry. Do we play a part? Absolutely. Ministry is happening right this very moment. We are being equipped by God's word to do that which God has required of us. Notice that saints here is plural. Of course, he's talking to the Ephesians. He calls them saints in chapter one, verse 
One, to the saints who are in Ephesus, faithful in Christ Jesus. He's writing to the plurality. He's not just writing to the elders of Ephesus. We're called to equip the saints. And notice that the works of ministry are not just out of our four walls. Notice at the end of verse 12, it says it's for the building up of the body of Christ. And if we just pause there a moment and we think about this sense of preparation that God has brought to us um, through the equipping of the saints, are we fulfilling the work of ministry? According to Paul's definition, we are fulfilling the works of ministry if we are using the very grace gifts that God has given to build up the body of Christ. So there is, in an essence here, if we aren't using our gifts, the body is not all that it could be. It's like a lame hand or an arm that's out of joint or a muscle that's sore or a body part that isn't functioning. That God calls us to use these, but we are called to use these as we've been equipped. Notice he never calls us to do something that we're not equipped with. As we spoke about last week, God always gives us what we need to obey him, always. And there's nothing less here in this context that we are given grace gifts to build up the body of Christ. And literally, these called out ones are to display God's glory. God seeks to glorify himself for he desires to do this through his people. You know, for many of us who are parents, you bring a child home uh, from the hospital. And uh, if it's your first child, you are just thankful that the delivery is behind you and you bring the child home and then you have this sigh of relief and then you're like, now what do we do with this thing? And, um, and it's breathing, it's, it's living, and you're, you're learning through the uh, trials of early days of parenting and you feel unequipped. Some are gifted in other ways than others, but often we feel unequipped, don't we, as parents? And some of us are still learning that, um, even after many children. And in this way, how is it that in our context of this century, where we have all these resources, that we indeed are not equipping our congregation and our congregations, rather, for the work of the ministry to accomplish this? We need mentors, we need disciplers, we need equippers, don't we? And nothing is short of this task before us that we are called to do this for God's glory. And so as we continue to look at this, only a church that is equipped, we see here, as Paul says, can be unified to God's glory. So this idea that is commonplace in church statistics that 20% of the church does 80% of the work ought to become less and less true of a healthy church. Christ saved us to glorify himself, amen? And that we are called to follow his example and to serve, as Paul says here at the end of verse 12, that the body of Christ might be built up. But finally, on this issue of preparation, look at verse 13. Notice how long this preparation is to continue. Until. It's continual. It's a continual present, as we see here, until we all attain of the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, to the measure and stature and fullness of Christ. Do you see that continual? We are all in a growth stage, every one of us. We are all learning, we are all growing, and God is adding to his people daily those who are being saved. And so the joy of seeing what God is doing and building this unity in every generation, but we have to fight for this, don't we? In every generation, we are called to this task to give ourselves to this. Notice here in this context of verse 13, we're called to strive for basically four things. Notice that they're to strive towards the unity of the faith that we mirror God and his character when we seek to be unified. And we spoke about how truth and unity work together, that without truth as our foundation, we cannot have unity. 
In fact, we quoted Spurgeon. Now, Spurgeon said, it's a treason to God to think that we can have unity without truth. Secondly, verse 13 tells us that we ought to look towards the knowledge of the Son of God. We're to learn more about our great high priest. We're to interact with him, or as we sung a few moments ago, we need to learn to abide. Oh, Jesus, teach us to abide in you, that we are the branches, you are the vine, as he instructs us in John 15. Thirdly, it talks towards maturity. Literally, when we translate this, it literally means a full-grown man, to grow into a a full-grown man. We are called to grow. Some of you teenagers are challenged by this as you come into your latter teenage years, that you feel this weight of leaving childhood behind and embracing adulthood, and you're seeking to grow up in that way. And notice that it doesn't happen overnight. The Lord brings you through that season to equip you, to challenge you, and to glorify him. In the same way, Paul is using this picture of growth and maturity that the saints grow into. How silly would it be to see one of you senior saints sitting in the nursery sucking on a bottle of milk? It would be atrocious to us that you could live so many decades and still be sipping on milk and not growing up. Paul uses this to paint a picture for us that he is guarding us and he is encouraging us and spurring us on to grow. As Paul encouraged in verse two that we looked at a couple weeks ago, that we're to bear with one another in love. That's implied because we're all in process, amen? Fourthly, in verse 13, notice that they're to work towards the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. The bride is to reflect her bridegroom in this way. He states, Paul does in in chapter 1, verse 23, if you turn back there, look at what he says. He says, um, or back to verse 22, he says, and he put all things under his feet, speaking of Jesus, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Again, Paul has been building this great ecclesiology, understanding who the body of Christ is so that we can work and function properly as we come to chapter four. So this equipping, this preparation is to be continual as the body of Christ grows in maturity. But preparation is not the only reason that Christ gifted his church in our pursuit of unity. This preparation is also meant to protect us. So let's look at verse 14. Look at our second point. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children, again, following the maturity theme, tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by cunning, human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Notice this connection, so that. When you're reading your Bibles or you're studying, there's a connective phrase here, so that. What is the purpose of this equipping? It has a purpose, so that we are protected. And what are we protected from? Notice here, by being carried away by every wind of doctrine, human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. There's a contrast of the maturity that he spoke of in verse 13 and here with the the way of children. Now, children are different than full-grown adults, are they not? They're learning, they're growing. They're trying to understand And so the reality is stated by Paul here that they are not what they're used to be so that they are no longer children. So he's implying that it's time for you to grow. It's time for you to put childish things behind. So again, we see this in the lives of children, don't we? We We've been blessed with many children uh, in this church and we see them growing at different stages, don't we? from the little ones uh, seeking to um, uh, just, just make it through a, uh, a service, to little ones that are starting to engage in different aspects of the service, to those who are now picking up a children's bulletin and trying to, to think about the Lord and what's going on in a given service as their parents are discipling them and, and as we're seeking to engage them as pastors. But they're growing, aren't they? There's different stages that one goes through. 
that they're able to not just stay in the nursery, but to grow up in these ways. And that as children grow, so we all grow, right? We're all maturing. Well, most of us are maturing. As my wife often says uh, when I embarrass my children, um, honey, maturity is knowing when and when not to act immature. And so the reality of maturity is before us. And Paul uses this metaphor now in talking about immaturity and as far as children are concerned and connecting it to the sea. Notice what he says here, that we wouldn't be as children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Isn't that interesting? Immature believers have a tendency to be swayed or deceived. This is instructive to us as pastors, that we are to guard the flock, especially new believers. And so immature believers can be preyed upon. I recently read an article um, about uh, Jehovah's Witness and how many um, are uh, converted or or go into um, uh, the uh, kingdom hall and where those people are coming from. It was atrocious to me to find out that 65%, and this was several years old, 65% of current Jehovah's Witnesses were um, brought in through other Christian Protestant denominations. I mean, let that sit for a minute. 65% of them have been swayed out of other, which should be Bible-preaching denominations, Church, we are the problem of how cults grow because we are not equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, that pastors are not preaching the word of God, and I'm speaking generally, that when we look at the the landscape spiritually, we are in dire straits. Churches are closing. Churches are more shallow than they've ever been. And there's a call to repentance in this way, to return to the proclamation of the word of God and our obedience to it. And so here, what does it mean that we ought to equip the saints? Well, it shows itself here in not just the preparation, but we see here that it's a protective feature that God is working in his people. Do you realize that God is is protecting you by your brothers and sisters using their gifts? That's really the flow of thought here for Paul, that we can be swayed by false teaching when we don't root ourselves in the scriptures and sit under the regular preaching of the word of God. This is why there's a famine in the land when it comes to a a bad view of the church. Ideas that came out of the pandemic is, hey, we, we really don't need to go to church anymore. We can stay home in our PJs and, and turn on the favorite preacher that we want to watch. There's zero accountability. The pastor doesn't know our name. He doesn't get involved in our business. But then we wonder why we're lonely. We wonder why we feel so disconnected. We wonder why God isn't answering our prayers because we have slighted his bride. And so verse 11 tells us that these leaders were given so that we would be equipped. It's a qualification of an elder to be able to teach and defend sound doctrine. And while there's many men that ought to and are looking to serve congregations in such a way, there's many men who are disqualified. And this is one of the reasons that Paul wrote to Timothy in his first epistle, telling him what the qualifications were because he had unqualified elders. But there's also a warning here that the individual believer is called to pay attention to. That if you're being carried about by every wind of doctrine and every teaching, it implies that you aren't rooted already. While we need to care for you as a church, it's important that new believers be surrounded by the context of the local body. The internet has enabled us to have international reach with uh, in this generation, which is an amazing gift of God. And he lets the rest of the world use it. But we also know that technology can cause a great temptation for immature believers, not just towards false teaching, but for every wickedness that the human race has invented. What used to be a certain part of town is now a click away on our cell phone. That we are called in the body of Christ to equip each other and to guard against the works of the enemy. And the word ought to be regularly guiding that instruction as we are equipped. 
And so maturity for Paul is that we are growing, that it is a continual present, that we are growing in Christ and we are not obeying the Lord if we are not growing. Thus, there are times that people find themselves in a local church and they're not growing. And the, the possibility is that they aren't growing because the word isn't being preached. That is a possibility. And we see that in our day. Paul says this to the Corinthians in, um, when he writes, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, but be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. So the Ephesians were not the only ones that were hearing this. Paul spoke this to the Corinthians as well. He wants them to grow up. So God prepares us through the body of Christ. He protects us in all these things and gifting us and giving us unity. Finally, let's look at our last point. He preserves us. Look at verse 15. So in contrast to what he has done and what he is doing, rather it says, what ought we to do? Instead of being tossed to and fro like children, we are to be mature. How are we to do this? Rather, we are to speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, which each part is working properly, make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In contrast to the disunity that can come from false doctrine and the lack of preparation here, Paul shows the Ephesians that they're to combat this by speaking the truth. Church, there's many in our day that would want us to soften our message to say that this is a truth or that the word of God is uh, and a good idea. It's good. It teaches good moral values. And so there's, there's value in this book. But God taught us that this is truth. If you go on to chapter six, it tells us that it's the sword of the spirit, that God uses it to divide between the soul and the marrow, that the preaching of the word is what accomplishes, it's the method that God accomplished to call people to repentance and faith and to convict us of sin and to work in our lives. Do not ever underestimate the power of the preaching of God's word. This is his idea, not ours. And so truth and unity are related, remember? There can be no unity without truth. Truth has to be shared. And notice that it's in the context of the congregation. It's not just written to pastors. We are to speak the truth to one another. But notice it's not just speaking the truth. He says how we share it is very important. How are we to share it? In love. Often we like to drop the truth bomb, right? Like the drop mic, we just go into somebody's life, we bust into their lives, we share the truth, and we hope God will um, clean up the mess. And we drop it like a grenade. But Paul says that's not how it ought to be done. We ought to share it in love, truth. That is, that is like the borders of that sharing is in love. Paul says the same things in the, to the Corinthians again. There's a parallel here. Have you ever noticed that as he's talking about spiritual gifts in chapter 14, what does he talk about in chapter 13? He talks about love. He says it this way in, in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels and I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver my body to be burned and have not love, I gain nothing. Church, the mark of maturity is not just sharing truth and unloading your brain on your brother or sister. It is coming alongside of them in love to share truth at the appropriate time in the appropriate way that is falling alongside of them in empathy. For some of us, this means that we ought to, mature, um, ought to mature in listening better. That when your brother or sister comes to share truth, you're automatically offended because they disagree with you. And we need to mature in this way. For others, sharing truth is something that we're called to do, but we keep our mouths shut and the body is affected because we're not speaking up. And God calls us to do that. We're to love our brothers and sisters in this way, to share truth with them and not stay silent. 
We might think it could be unloving, but it's absolutely the opposite. When we share truth, it is the most loving thing that we can do for our brothers and sisters and not damage their souls. When God has called us in this passage, right here in this verse, speak the truth in love to one another. And so this speaking of truth in love leads to more growth, notice, into Christ who is the head. Paul continues to use this comparison of the body here as he did in his Corinthian epistle. Christ is the head and the body responds to him. I heard a testimony of an F-16 pilot that said his biggest picture for Christian unity uh, as far as the relationship of God's body and the church is an F-16. And I just was like, okay, I gotta hear this. And he said, whenever he tells that machine to do something, it does it. Without question, perfectly every time. If it doesn't, it's crashing. So the F-16 responds to the pilot. In the same way, when Christ is working and there's unity between Christ and his people, Christ moves and ministers and takes his gospel through a local church and changes complete communities because of what he is doing, that when he speaks, the body responds. When the head tells the hand to move, it moves. Unity, again, is God-centered. It's displayed through proper functioning of the body of Christ. Now, as verse 16 says, the body, notice, is joined and held together. Paul has been using this comparison throughout his epistle, using this comparison of building up the body or even building a building. Turn back to chapter 1, verse 22 and 23 real quick. It says this, that he put all things under his feet and he gave him Christ as head over all things to who? The church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the body in a sense is his fullness. And then turn over to chapter two, verse 19 and 22. In a different way, he's speaking of how he's building um, uh, Gentile and Jew, Jewish believers together into a holy temple. It says, so then in verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation, again, of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And then finally, take a look at chapter three, verse six. There's others, these are just an overview. It says this mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The gospel always builds up, church. The gospel always calls people to repentance and faith. The gospel is always founded in truth. The gospel is founded in the nature and character of God. And so as God is building his people, he is bringing himself much glory as he brings Jew and Gentile, male and female, social classes of all kinds together in one. They are unified in Christ because those other identities do not matter in the sense of our unity as God's people. And so spiritually, we see this as well. It's not just humanly, but spiritually at the end of verse 16, that he's bringing about this equipping so that it can everything can be working properly and the body, again, can grow and build itself up, again, here it is, in love. True ministry is flowing through this conduit of love, truth and love, truth and and unity, we see these comparisons. It's the ministry of Christ himself through the power of the Holy Spirit in his people, which brings glory to God. This ministry brings more and more unity as all these parts are working together. So that is our passage. So what? So what? How do we apply these things to us right now? First century Ephesians, it's great for them, but these truths are timeless. Three things as we close. Three things that I think we can apply to ourselves. First of all, we need to process this passage. And why do I say that? Well, God has gifted us, has he not? He's gifted us to serve him, to make much of the king. And while that may mean that you are in some ways distracted 
You are called to put those distractions aside that the sole importance of your life right now, the reason that God has saved you is to glorify him and to enjoy him, to grow in your gifts. And we as your pastors want to encourage you in what those gifts are and to use them for his glory. So what are things that you're doing that are choking that time out of growing in the gifts that you have been given? Are you doing things that you ought not to do? Perhaps you're delegating what you're called to do. In what ways have you disobeyed or remained apathetic in the calling that God has given you? That these gifts are not a mystery. That God wants to make these known. They're the first thing that comes out of us. It's our first reaction. They're gifts of the Spirit, and He wants us to use them. He's calling us to use them, and He's equipped us to use them, and so we're called to do so. Your use of these gifts helps the church ultimately mature and to be what she ought to be. It has been so moving to me over 11 years that at this stage of our church that the founding group are gone, not because they were mad and they took their bags and ran, but life changes caused them to, to go in different directions. And this church is completely different than what she used to be. And all along the way, God has given us what we need all the way, and he's not gonna stop that. He has equipped us to do the work of the ministry, to prepare us, to protect us, to preserve us. And you are part of that. And you have a responsibility in that. Secondly, not only are we to process this passage and spend time thinking about what it is that the Lord is calling us to, secondly, here, the clear uh, encouragement and exhortation from this passage is to progress, to grow in maturity. This passage challenges us. The active command in the New Testament is that we mature, that we grow, that we don't stop, that we don't stagnate, that we don't look down, that we look up to Christ and we keep growing and we keep running and we keep doing that until Christ comes back. And there's every discouragement in the world that is telling us to stop running, stop what you're doing, stop trying to do ministry, stop preaching the gospel. Everywhere we turn, we're gonna find that discouragement from the world. But it is the satanic onslaught against the kingdom of Christ. We are called to grow up, church. We are called to take up our loins, or gird up our loins, rather, and run with endurance. We're to grow day by day, physically and spiritually. As Paul says in his epistle, he says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are to be built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So if we're new in Christ, we're called to drink the milk or as Paul says, we ought to grow up and eat solid food as he encourages the laziness and the fleshliness of the Corinthian church. He says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. Do you hear his apostolic cry for them to grow up, to learn, to put aside these things. So we need to process this passage. Secondly, we need to progress in maturity. And lastly, we are called to practice these gifts, to use our gifts for the glory of God, to build up the body of Christ. Are you doing that? I am encouraged week after week at how people use their gifts to the glory of God, whether that's a physical talent or your actual spiritual gift. There are differences there that we don't have time to unravel right now, but you are using those gifts in this church. I'm moved as I walk through the building to hear our Sunday school teachers or those who faithfully give up their time to serve our young children in the nursery or those in the context of our worship service that are planning behind the scenes our music and sound team and those who are working online to make sure our content is posted and those in our worship team and those are deacons that are serving constantly and planning and, and working towards these ends. 
not to mention our missional endeavors and all that God is doing through this body. It can't be done by one solo person. It is the whole body working together and doing it in love. As Paul encouraged Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, or 2 Timothy chapter 1, rather, Paul tells Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God has given us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And while this is true for Timothy in the pastoral sense, this sense of fanning each other into flame in our gifts is so important to us that we need to stop being jealous of someone else's gift. We need to stop comparing ourselves to others, thinking that they're more important in the kingdom of God. We need to stop competing with others for their gifts and simply be who we are in Christ. That's all he ever called us to be and to use those gifts for his glory. Paul encourages a man named Archippus at the end of his Colossian epistle in chapter four, verse 17. It says, I say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Church, one day we will all give account on an individual basis, but we also give account in the sense of being a church. And these great applications will help us on that day that we see our part of the whole and we also are called corporately but individually to fulfill what God has called us to. The ministry has called us to. He, he may have called a brother to have an itinerant ministry, but not you. He may have called someone to have a faithful prayer ministry, and that's not you. God has called you specifically in these ways, to use your gifts for the glorifying of Christ. And these aren't just some amazing uh, ways that we have to find out it's, you will probably already know what you're, you're gifted in, that he's calling you to use that. But they have tremendous impact in the kingdom of God and for the good of his church and building up his church. So don't underestimate those who are even not in the limelight that God is using for his glory. So process, progress, and practice. As you see, God preparing, protecting, and preserving the unity of his people for his glory. Let's pray. Oh God, we need your help. We thank you for the exhortation from this passage. It's a glorious thing to be a part of, that we are a part of a people that will never fade away. And many of us have already gone to glory and they're with you. And we soon to join them as this generation comes to a close if you don't return. And so, Father, we exult in you. We glorify you. We enjoy you, and we want to make much of you in our generation. And we admit that the regular things of life and living in this fallen world distract us. And oftentimes we live as, this, as if this is the end, that this is our main end, but it's not. We are made for eternity. And we are looking forward to that day. Thank you for this reminder, this exhortation to, to, to be fanned into flame, to use our gifts to the glory of God. And so, Father, I pray for each one, from the youngest to the oldest, that, Lord, they would not look to the left or to the right, but they would look to you. And they would ask you, Lord, how would you have your word to be applied to my life? Lord, am I doing what you have called me to do? Am I distracted? Am I derailed? Lord, help me that your body might be built up, that we might be encouraged, that you might be glorified, and ultimately that we might be satisfied in you alone, our treasure. Amen.